Hi, welcome to Prayer House Online. Whether you're tuning in for the first time or you've been here before, it's a great joy and a pleasure to be meeting you through our podcast channel. My name is Forchi, and I'm part of the team at Prayer House in Weymouth. We're going to continue to dive into our Kingdom Culture series, and today we have Pete Milner sharing about children and what that means for Kingdom Culture in 2023. If you haven't heard already, this is part of our Kingdom Culture series that we're doing on Sunday mornings. The previous two episodes are also available online on our podcast channel, so you should just be able to scroll back and listen to the other two that have already been published. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning, we meet at Holy Trinity School in Weymouth. The postcode is DT49QX. That's DT49QX. We start at 10.30 on a Sunday morning. We hope that this sermon is a blessing to you and we'd love to hear any feedback that you have for us or any questions that you may have to follow up. You can do that by emailing us at connect at prayerhouse.uk or you can go to our website prayerhouse.uk and you can use the contact form as well. If you'd like to know more about what we're up to day to day or what's happening at the moment, you can follow us on our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram where we share what's going on currently during the week. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for another opportunity that you have given us for us to listen to your word and for us to engage with your spirit again. So Father, I pray for everyone listening that you would open our hearts, let heaven speak into our hearts again today. May we tune into the words that you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was uh, watching my son at play yesterday and um, noticing how similar he is to me. And um, he looks like me when I was a kid and he talks a bit like me and he's excited about ball sports the same way I am. And it, it just... While I was preparing for, for what I'm going to say today, I, it happens over a long period of time. I kind of revisit it a bunch of times. And um, after having done some delving into what I'm going to share today, just seeing him playing, I just thought this is exactly it. Because how does he, how does he resemble me so closely? I think there are two main things. One is I'm his father. And that's just how that works. And you end up a bit like your parents. That's just the way of biological progenesis, isn't it? You, you get to be like your mum and you get to be like your dad because of how you were born. And if they have browner skin, they, you will have browner skin. And if they have blonder hair, you'll have blonder hair. And if they're tall, you'll probably be tall. And if they're short, you'll probably be short. Those kind of physical things and many deeper things besides are transmitted to us almost by accident. You know, it's, if, if your parents had the hots for each other on a different night, you look really different, probably. You know, you, you might look very different than you do now. That's how extraordinary you are. You, you, I know that it's so hard to talk and think like this because in the wake of our prevailing culture, we've learned about me too, and the horrifically unfair ways in which some people are conceived. And it seems wrong in a way to celebrate conception and, and pregnancy and birth when 
for so many people, it's beyond horrific, the, the hardest and worst thing ever. So I, I count myself to be incredibly fortunate that my parents were married to each other and loved each other when I was conceived and brought into the world, and hooray for that. But I just want to say that I, I see and know how varied the story of each of us coming into the world is. And so I see a second thing at work, which is not really anything to do with gametes and cells and blastocysts and, and biology, but it's about what we do together. It's about who I spend my time with and what sort of things I say to them and how we share life together. And whoever you share your life with, you will become a bit like. It's sort of transmitted in just as mysterious a way. And if I spend a lot of time at your house and we see a lot of the same things together, talk about the same things a lot, we will leave an indelible mark on each other. And so when I look at Christians, when I look at the family of God, the children of God, the ones who believe in his name, I see that we are all very different. We all had different biological parents for sure. And yet, there are similarities. And there's not only the social thing. Like if I come to the prayer house and I become sort of a prayer house person, and if I go to a sort of older-fashioned Bible, Woodhouse, chapel kind of church, I'll kind of become like them. Or if I go to an Anglican church, I'll sort of become like them. It's not just that. It's that we have a very real connection with our father, our parent, our in, in a way adopted, but in a way biological father who is giving us his nature. We've been talking for a few weeks here in the prayer house about kingdom culture, the culture of the kingdom. And if I, if I can start it off this way, you could say, um, what happens between Christmas and Easter? And this is one problem I've always got with, with old bearded people who wrote theological cookbooks. They often know a lot about Christmas and about the incarnation and the nativity and the virgin birth and the circumstances and places of, of Jesus' birth and the trip to the temple and the trip to Egypt and the trip back to Nazareth and all of those details. But then you've got baby Jesus in December. Probably not for my money, but don't worry. And then you've got crucified Jesus in the spring with the empty tomb and the blood and, and the Lord's Supper in, in the spring. And I'm like, well, it's nice to spend the rest of the year celebrating that. But what happened in between? By all account, Luke says he was about 30 years of age when he started to preach. And some people make it sound as if the three years he spent preaching Almost nothing of consequence appeared to happen. We don't have a festival for it. You know, we, we just have Christmas and we have Easter. Those are the two. But I want another one right in the middle of the summer. And we can call it Kingdom Day. Where we celebrate that actually while on earth, while Empowered by the Holy Spirit, while preaching, while doing miracles, while being kind to people who'd never had anyone be kind to them before, Jesus was establishing a kingdom upon the earth. And it wasn't this time a country 
with a king and a government and a tax collection and all of that. This time, it was for people from every country to the ends of the earth. And this kingdom would have people from every tribe and nation in it. Every income bracket, every social background, every skin color, however old, however young, whoever you are, whether you're a slave with no rights or a billion trillionaire, everyone is called to come and join this kingdom that he established. If you want to read more about it, I'll start you off in Luke chapter 10, and we'll just deal with the beginning of the kingdom being established. Because hands up if you know that before Jesus came, centuries before Jesus came, there was a kingdom of God called Israel on the earth. Hands up, give me a wave. You heard that before. Great. So you had King David and King Solomon, and you had a throne and a crown and a temple and a capital city and a government, and it was God's kingdom. That was his place. That was the kingdom of God for that time. And how many know that that kingdom was destroyed? Yep. So about 587 BC, so that's nearly 600 years before Jesus appeared, um, the Babylonians came and conquered it, destroyed it. They bulldozed the temple, they bulldozed the palace, they bulldozed the throne, they killed the king and they captured his son and killed him later. And the whole kingdom was gone. And then that kingdom fell, Babylon, to Persia. They got conquered after that. Persia fell to Greece. They got conquered by Alexander the Great around 300 years before Jesus. And then Greece got conquered by Rome about 100 years before Jesus. And when Jesus is born, the, the guys in charge of the, of the kingdom of God, there's no actual king anymore. There hasn't been for 500 years. When he's born, the Romans are in charge and it's not really a kingdom at all, but people had this feeling. They'd been reading the prophecies, and they had this feeling, the kingdom is coming. It's coming back. There's going to be a king, a messiah, a, a lord, a person to be the king in the capital city, the country. We'll, re we'll come back, we'll get rid of the Romans, and bring a kingdom back together to be the right kingdom, where all the other 220-odd are the wrong kingdoms. That was everybody's main expectation. And when Jesus appeared, people got really excited. He did miracles and he proclaimed, if you want to have a look at it, look at the first thing he starts preaching about in any gospel. He says, listen, the kingdom is here. It's here. I'm it. That's right. Repent and believe. Here comes the kingdom. And everyone's like, oh, this is going to be great. Some of them think this is going to be a war. And some of his disciples say silly things like, should we bring swords? Or would you like us to call fire down from heaven on that unbelieving village? They thought this was going to be about a war. Are you going to build a throne, Jesus? Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? And Jesus often treats it as a little bit of a hilarious joke because no, he's not going to build a little country with a capital city and a throne and a government. The prophecy says the government will, government will be on his shoulders and that the kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. Well, kings die. All humans go that way. So it had to be an eternal kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. And Jesus taught us to pray 
let it come true on earth like it is in heaven. God's already king of heaven, but the dominion of the earth still in flux. Once upon a time, Satan was allowed to go to heaven. He used to go backwards and forwards. And God allowed that. I don't know why, but he did. But when Jesus came to the world, he didn't keep all the power for himself. He said, right, you lot, little children, first 12 of them, and then it went well, so he sent it to 72 people. It's about, imagine this room full. And he said, I'm giving you all authority in heaven and on earth to rule over demons and principalities, to heal the sick, raise the dead, and proclaim the message of the kingdom everywhere you go. That's what I want you to do. I'm giving my power to humans again. I'm giving God's kingdom power to humans when they get back, they say, oh, it went so well. You know, we cast out demons. We brought dead people back to life. We cleansed lepers. We told everyone about you and everybody loved it. And we've been baptizing people and praying for people. And it's been going amazing. And Jesus says this in Luke chapter 10. If you like reading along, you can, you can find it in uh, um, chapter 10 of Luke. This is from verse 17. It says, when the 72 disciples came back, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy so that you will walk among snakes and scorpions and nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice about evil spirits obeying you. Instead, that your names, this is the New Living Translation. This is a great little bit. It says, rejoice because your names are registered as citizens of heaven. Because the kingdom has come. The summer festival can be inaugurated. The kingdom is here. We have one now. What should we be like in it? Because I'm English, whether I like it or not. Both my parents were English. And I've accidentally become English because I've spent my life hanging out with English people. That has given me many great benefits and a couple of things I'd rather not have. What's the difference between a Christian who's English and a Christian who's... Chinese. A few differences. If you ever go to China, some people in this room have, you'll see that the church often looks very different. What about if you're American or Venezuelan or from anywhere else in the whole wide world? The thing is that church in those countries often looks very different to other countries. Yet, I do see that there is a kingdom culture. And for the last two weeks here, make sure you check them out online. Paul's been preaching through kingdom culture. What values should we share? It's, it's not true that all citizens of heaven are entitled to democracy or health care or prosperity or other things. 
Many Christians live and die their whole lives without any of those things. Doesn't mean they're bad, doesn't mean they're good. But what is the kingdom culture? Today I'm going to be looking at the culture of children. Because Jesus says this wonderful thing right after that bit I just read. In verse 21, he says that Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit, which is my favorite. And he said, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding the truth from the wise and learned. I love it. But you have revealed it to little children. Yes, Father, because it pleased you to do it this way. So I've spent my whole life feeling like becoming wise and noble and, and careful and thoughtful is roughly a good thing. But Jesus' stunt in establishing the kingdom in the world was to basically ignore the most learned people completely and the people in charge. And he started giving the kingdom and the power of the kingdom to little kids and people who became like little kids, which we'll see in a minute. He was picking up anyone who would follow him. And that included many of the downtrodden, the people who were excluded by society, the people who were unfairly treated. That was just what he was like. And many of the people in the establishment, they hated him completely. They ended up being the ones behind assassinating him, as it happens, of course. But why did God want to show his kingdom culture to little children? They're useless. They are. They do make me smile. One, of, one thing you'll often hear me say if you and I hang out a little bit is that I often prefer children to grown-ups. If I meet a new child, I immediately like them. Sometimes takes me a minute with some grown-ups. <laughs> so grown-ups are a lot easier to lose the esteem I hold them in as well. I love children. I mean, the reason you, you may be, if you've been coming here a few weeks, you might not have seen me much, is because most of the time at Sundays I am teaching children. And we do Sunday school together, and we do singing together, and we do games together to help them see, because they don't, what the faith actually is. Some people say, oh, yes, children are born so perfect and innocent. No, they're not. They're born greedy and selfish. They can't even conceive of anything except their own needs. Me, me, me. Wah! That's what they're saying. That's what they're like. It's not their fault. It's just how they're born. And it's how we're all born. We need affection and we need food. And really, that's just about it for ages. By the time they're ready to give back and, and love you back and, and even smile at you, it's been weeks. You've been pandering to this person the whole time and they just ignore you. <laughs> I'm being silly on purpose, but I'm, it is a real point. And Jesus says all these remarkable things like, unless you change and become like little children, you're not even going to get into the kingdom of God. You have to be like them. And if you're wise and noble and used to ceremonies and things, that's a very hard lesson. 
because it makes you feel excluded. And then you're like, oh, well, I've been trying very hard to be included this whole time in the things of God. I have read many books and become very mature. And suddenly Jesus comes along and says, the kingdom is here. I've missed it. And seven-year-olds who don't even know how to sit still are wandering into the kingdom ahead of me, waving flags that don't match. And I'm standing here thinking, what am I supposed to do? I love this. I love this so much because it's so important for me to not become prickly and old-fashioned and only loving things as they've always been, remembering a time before the children were born about when things were better and everything worked. Because it is through the eyes of a child that we can see who God really is. When Jesus, everybody comes to Jesus and they say, Jesus, what is God like though? And he said, simplest way I can tell you is talk to him like this. Father, dad, Abba, be, he's my father, he's in heaven. That's what kind of a relationship works best with God. You know, you can think of him as an enlightened servant or noble witness or courtier or something like that if you want. But best to just stick with being a child and he's the dad. That's the best way. And the best dads will show that by loving and welcoming their kids. Let's have a look at a few more scriptures together. So we need a kingdom day, I think, to celebrate how Christmas and Easter are kind of sandwiching together the establishment of the kingdom of God, which I think is, is as important for my money. And I, I may be on holy ground when I say that, but I believe it. I really do. So the kingdom is here and it has a culture, and the culture starts with the mindset and the nature of a child. Guess how Jesus appeared to the world? Was it as a fully formed adult bearing a noble and King James Bible style speech? Or was it as a squawking tiny baby in a manger with the hay? If you look through the Bible and look how a divine um, person sort of appears in the world, it's always as a grown-up. Hearken unto me and hear ye the voice of mine calling. Right, here's a big picture for you or a prophetic word or a, or a something. The angel of the Lord comes with a sword and he's mighty and he stands over the army of Assyria. And we think, of course, of course the heavenly messenger appears as a grown-up. But then Jesus appears and he appears as a baby with all of the vulnerability and childlikeness and need. And it's, it's too poor, normal people's job to raise him and nurture him and love him and give him what he needs. Can you imagine being the parent of the Son of God? I can't imagine. I would be so worried the whole time about messing it up. I'm already a bit like that with my kids anyway, but I can't even imagine the Jesus, the, literally the God who I worship, present in the crib, not sleeping at night. So much. So, the preaching about the kingdom begins with repent and be born again. There's a guy called Nicodemus who was one of the wise and noble people. And you, you probably have heard of John chapter 3 before. John 3.16 is where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, listen, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus says, well, how? I can't go back, so to speak, can't climb in and, and be born again. What are you talking about, Jesus? 
What was he talking about? How grown up had Nicodemus become? How grown up were his prayers? O Lord, we beseech thee in your name to grant us the bounty of thy presence. And that's probably how he prayed. Jesus is like, delete the whole file. You need to think of yourself as being four, of it being Christmas, and dad is on the chair, and it's time to run towards him. And like children do, they will throw themselves into the air and jump into the lap of dad. That's what you should be like, Nicodemus, scholar of Hebrew. And he can't believe it. He's like, but what about the noble traditions and the important ceremonies and all of this stuff? And Jesus is like, forget it. Just kiss him. Tell him what you need. Hug him. That's what he wants. That's what God is like. And so many people had difficulty with this. When Jesus does establish the kingdom on the earth, he shows the kingdom culture with regard to those who are children. How should we treat children here at the prayer house? A lot of kids were raised in churches where you had to sit silently in rows. And how did they keep you there? Was it with kindness and love and honour? Or was it with scolding and sneering and scowling and judgment? That's how you keep a child sat still, isn't it? You just wait... Come on, that's not what the kingdom of God is, is it? Sure isn't. So we're going to march them in the front and give them communion first. Because A, unless we all become like them, we're not even going to get in the kingdom in the first place. And secondly, because they're really busy thinking about games and they've got to go and do them. And in the kingdom, I'm sorry, but that is so important that they are allowed to play. And they're allowed to make friends and they're allowed to stick glue together and make a mess and have flags that don't match and play drums out of time. We're just going to have to be okay with that if we want to nurture a generation of people who know the kingdom culture, aren't we? Because if we expect them to behave like grown-ups the whole time, they're not even going to like God. It's so, so good. Right. I've got you four things. Joshy, can we have a little look up at these slides? So just by way of a recap at first. So first of all, Jesus appeared as a baby, and that's amazing. You can read all about it in in Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 3. We usually do it at Christmas anyway. If you go to the next slide. So unless you change and become born again, you have to change and become like children. That's how you get in. You don't get to recite anything or become very noble first. You come to him in greatest humility. Next one. So Jesus establishes the kingdom on planet Earth. Rather than create a country with a government and a prime minister and stuff, he invites people from every tribe and nation to live as citizens of heaven. And his kingdom culture radically challenges all cultures, which means if I'm English, Jesus is going to have loads of things to say to me that are going to be hard for me to accept. Because two things have been going on. Even if I grow up in church, if I grow up around here, I'm just going to take on the nature of the other people around me, aren't I? I'm going to learn English TV, English school, English shops, English mentality about things. 
And Jesus has got some very, very, very stern things to say to me about that. Kind things too. Like he laughs at us as well, I think. But if I'm Chinese or American or South African or Indian or whatever, it's going to be just the same, but it might be different lessons. So I've got four things for you that Jesus does to challenge the prevailing culture about children. Now, hands up if you believe that a lot of the prevailing culture of the West and the UK with regard to children is not doing so well. Me too. Boy, oh boy, do they need Jesus. So what challenges then? Because I've seen the church pick fights with things it thinks are wrong with culture before and done a terrible job of standing up for Jesus. Sometimes we pick a fight with something and we, we argue all about the wrong thing. I'm a Bible person. I like kind of bringing it all back to the Bible as much as possible. And I've found four things that I think Jesus would have us challenge the prevailing culture of this land we live in with. Can you give me the first slide there, Joshy? First of all, acceptance, affirmation, and esteem. That's how to treat children. Accept them, affirm them, and esteem them. A big word I hear a lot at the moment and a lot about raising children and, and nurturing children is the word self-esteem. And for my money, possibly one of our culture's greatest problems is that it esteems self too highly. There's nothing wrong with self-esteem. There's nothing wrong in having a good view of who God made you to be. But let's not miss it. We esteem children. We think of them highly. And we esteem God above all, I hope. Right, let's have a look at that. Mark 9, verse 33. This is a famous passage, and you can see it in um, all the, uh, well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, they, there's this great bit. We'll start it from um, uh, verse 33. So they got to Capernaum. This is Jesus and the disciples. And they settled in the house where they would be staying. And Jesus asked them, hey, what were you guys discussing on the road? That's how I talked to my kids. Hey, uh, who opened that drawer and took the chocolate out? <laughs> Just wondering. But they didn't answer him because they had actually been arguing about which one of them was the greatest. How like children is that? And he sat down and he called the 12 over to him and he said, anybody who wants to be first has to take last place and be the servant of everybody else. And he took a child from among them and taking the child up into his arms, he said to them, anyone that welcomes a little child like this, for me, welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me is welcoming my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus says the link is very clear. How you treat children is how you want to be treated by God. I wonder, sometimes I've been very angry with my children and judgmental and vindictive with them. And I wonder if I accidentally believe that about God. I think accidentally I probably kind of do. I have to make myself remember things like this. Take them up into their arms. Accept them. Affirm them. And esteem them. 
And then the argument about who's in charge or who gets to be the greatest or that kind of stuff will just disappear from our life. Our need to rise above the ranks and receive recognition. Boy, oh boy, I've had some lessons of that this week. Silly. Silly in the kingdom of God. Much better to affirm, accept and esteem children, I think. If we have the next one, Joshy. Second challenge, we are all always children of God. So, full disclosure, this is an aspect of what the kingdom is like, the kingdom culture is like. You can't kind of stretch the metaphor to all things. And it's true that the Bible does say when we are born again, when we come into the kingdom, then it's time to keep growing, keep maturing, keep developing. Right? When I was young, I spoke like a child and reasoned like a child, but now I've left childish things behind me. We're pressing onwards. However, it's so important that we always understand that next to God, we're the kids and he's the dad. And that, will, that profound humility will always be part of who we are as a church. We can't ever lose it. And you commit a grave error if you think the goal of God is to make us all into gods. We worship him alone. And even if you're a really good Christian, I'm just not going to worship you. That's, that's the thing. That's the limit of the metaphor, you see, because we're the kids and he's the dad forever and ever and ever and always. Yes, there is a point where we can grow in our responsibility and trust within the kingdom and faithfulness and walk with God and faithfulness to what he's called us and we can mature and we can grow and we can learn to look after the new generation that emerges as well. But we can't ever lose that, what was the song? May I never lose the wonder, that beautiful, mysterious wow that I utter when I realize how amazingly, astonishingly ridiculous it is that the God who made the heavens and the earth and all that is in it has condescended to me to be my dad and love me. It's just stunning. I love it. The uh, verse there, Matthew 5, if we can see a person as a perpetually a child in their relationship with God in an unpatronizing way, we will then be better prayers. That um, piece of Matthew 6 is the Lord's Prayer, which begins, Our Father who is in heaven. That's how Jesus wants us to see him. And, And that second way of challenging our prevailing culture is to make sure we always see ourselves as children. It's it's a great humility. People who forget about the childlike aspect of who we are as humans sometimes start getting very strange about what humans are and what humans can do. And it all quickly becomes about taking over the earth with the wrong intentions. And I think making sure that we stay humble, we stay the child and we let God be God is so important to challenge our culture. If we have the third one, Josh. Worshipping Jesus... I'm going to read you this one out of the Bible. There's a great bit in Matthew chapter 21 where Jesus has finished his tour and he's now landed in Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, there's this great kingdom culture moment where instead of riding in on a chariot pulled by eight black steeds or something, Jesus comes loping in on 
a young donkey that's not quite big enough for him. Why? Because of the kingdom culture. And then everybody's waving flags, but they're not carefully stitched, spangled banners. Just bits of tree they broke off and wave that. And you know, they're swinging their coats and lobbing flowers everywhere. And it's childlike. That's Jesus's triumphal entry into the capital city where the destiny of humankind is going to be realized. None of the flags match. We're all just going to be children and say, woohoo, because that's, what, that's who he is. I know that he is ever, ever, ever so noble. And I know that there is a time to be solemn. But may I never lose that urge to just snap a leaf off and make a flag out of it. For him. So this is Matthew chapter 21, and I'll go from verse 15. Jesus has just cleared the temple out. You know what that's like, don't you? <laughs> that's another, another uh, time. So the blind and the lame came to him, and he healed them there, because what else do you do, blind and lame people? Verse 15, the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard Little children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. But they were indignant. <laughs> Why were they indignant? Can you imagine? I, I have witnessed miracles before. I tell you the truth. I have witnessed miracles to my own self and in others. It's great. How could you become so grown up? that a blind person receiving their sight or a lame person standing up and jumping for joy and little children yelling yay makes you indignant. How many things have to go wrong with your heart to get to that point? Well, let me tell you another truth. I have seen people's hearts get like that. It happens. It happens to me. You know, we get all prickly and crusty and used to things a certain way and we like our position in the world. And suddenly this radical breakout of real kingdom culture becomes upsetting instead of great. Oh, what a sadness. That's why Jesus says it over them. He says, you know, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I'm like a mother hen and you're like little chicks and I just want to scoop you all up and love you. But you're like, no, I don't want to know. Do you see how it is such a stark contrast? Anyway, so the little children are shouting, praise God for the son of David. The temple priests are indignant and they ask Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus says, he knows they're Bible people, you see. And he says, haven't you ever read the Bible? For they say, the scriptures say, you have taught children and infants to bring forth praise. Out of the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise in an older version. That's what it's like. Jesus is like, oh, newsflash for the Bible people. This was actually written about in the Bible. You know that Bible you really love and you keep quoting from to make people feel bad about themselves? Well, children, praising God is in it. Surprise. <laughs> how good is he and how much does he love children and how much does he love you? So much. He just can't wait to just bounce you with the love and nurturing that you need. And that's how he wants you to be. Just bounce them with it. Love them, train them, adore them. On train them, let's have the last one here. 
challenging the prevailing culture by remembering that children aren't magic and perfect. If you treat a child and train them up to believe that they are an honored guest in this world, you will create a disaster of an adult. A disaster. If you indulge their whims and say yes to everything and think everything they think is great, you will ruin their chances at ever being able to be a reliable source of love for another person. Scuppered. If you discipline them not, what do you have in, in, in 12 years? A monster. I'm not kidding. Children that receive no correction, no instruction, no training, no, no. Oh, what a nightmare. What a nightmare. They are a holy terror. And we create them. I'm not saying don't be kind. Don't ever hear me say that. Let's be kind, please. Let's love them and scoop them and hug them and, and just set them free. But let's not forget, they can be just awful and they must be trained out of it. That little uh, verse there, let's go there. That's Luke 6. I'm sorry for flying everywhere. My sort of theological college trainers always said, Try not to flick around everywhere and sort of stick to one passage. But I'm trying to talk about something that unites the whole Bible a little bit. So I can't. I'm just, I'm sorry, Alistair, if you're listening to this. I'm not actually that sorry. All right. <clears throat> I think what I'm doing is fine. Here we are. Do you think you deserve credit for loving those who love you? This is Jesus. Come on. Even the sinners do that. And if you only do good to people who do good to you, is that so wonderful? Even sinners do that. If you only lend money to people who are good at repaying on time, what good is that? Just go to the bank. Even sinners lend to their own kind, expecting a full return. Instead, I tell you, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them. And don't be concerned that they'll even repay you, for then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will be truly acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and those who are wicked. You have to be compassionate as your father is compassionate. Did you hear how he described children there? Ungrateful and wicked. Hands up if as a child you were ever ungrateful and wicked. Oh boy, was I ever. Hands up if you uh, know a neighbor's kid <laughs> who's ungrateful and wicked. That might be a bit easier for us to raise our hand for. The thing is, selfishness is how we are born. We only are aware of our need. Can't even express it in language when we're first born. And as a parent, it's the ultimate sacrifice. You have to give to that need without any hope of repayment from this one week old baby, do you? They keep you awake, they keep you on your feet, they work you hard, and they don't even learn to say the word thank you until they're like three, if you're lucky. Thing is, children are like that, and we love them anyway. That's what God is like. He just says, yes, 
They will be ungrateful and they won't always clean up after themselves and they won't always repay when you lend them, but you just have to love them anyway because that's what I do. Anyone who imagines that God is only kind to them when they are super good is kidding themselves. He's, in a way, because it's part of, it, the whole thing about kingdom culture, right, is that it's God's culture. That's what he is like. And when Jesus came to establish the kingdom, he said, I'm what God is like. And so when you hear him say, actually, I know that children are not perfect. They need correction. They need discipline. They need loving rebuke. He's being clear. Don't be fooled. Children aren't born with the instinct to be able to thrive. They need us. And, and the church is the same. You know, when people are born again and they receive the gift of heavenly life for the first time and they say yes to Jesus and they come bouncing into the kingdom and we all cheer because, wow, yes. They, they aren't born again with the whole story intact already. They, it has pleased God to give them everything they need for life and godliness, but that has to be kind of trained and recognized and, and schooled and helped. And I, I know Steph would say, she her wonderful testimony earlier, it's like you find him and it's like, yes, this is all I ever needed. And then a year down the line, wow, wow, did I need more things than that? You know, I needed the loving community. I needed the blessing. I needed a bit of an education. I needed help to learn how to pray, how to work, how to be thankful. All those values are part of a culture that's shared by everyone who's in the kingdom. That's why it's a kingdom culture. And that is kind of given to us by God. And I just love that he came down as a baby to establish it and, and give us that. Because he had to show us, this is what I'm like. This is what I want you to be like. And it's not all just pop one moment and it's done. Hebrews 12, 7, that verse there is, God, don't be surprised that God is disciplining you. Because he only loves them, he only disciplines people he loves. Like children, how could you love them and not discipline them? It's not love if you won't correct them, is it? So, the whole kingdom culture of, of children and child is instructive for us as a church. We have learned, I think, over the sort of 30 to 40 years we've been here in Weymouth and, and here in Dorset, and here as part of our sort of movement of churches, as it were, we have learned that Englishness needs an education in how to look after children. And I think we all agree that there's lots of things that people say about children that really, really needs correcting. But we have to be able to do more than just tell them off. I told you before, I, one of the most rebuking things anyone's ever said to me was also one of the kindest. They said, I think we've heard enough about things you don't like. Can you just talk about what you do like? It was stunning because I just had this huge moan about government and money and economics and, and sounding forth and trying to sound ever so smart. And he just said, oh, God, everyone knows how to moan. But how do you build a counter culture full of actual values you do appreciate? That is a life's work. That is so important that we see. We're not just critics of the world. We are the builders and establishers, the co-laborers with Christ in building a counterculture that we hope will take over the world. We're already about a third of the way there by some ways people are counting it. But I'm not giving up. 
Yes, it's awful sometimes. Yes, I criticize the government too. But I've got to make sure that it's not just criticism. What happens if I just criticize my children? Will that correct them and train them in the way they should go? No, it's going to exasperate them. There's a wonderful passage, I think I had it in one of the previous slides, um, where Paul says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. They will just become disheartened. They'll give up. And that world out there isn't just rubbish. It's also greatly disheartened. It doesn't even believe that such a good world could even be made. Or if they do, they miss the aim by such a long way. You're like, oh, dear children, there's more to life than this. But we have to, le- we have to live it. We have to demonstrate it. And that's why we're trying to talk so much about kingdom culture, because it's not enough. I think an older generation of, of evangelicals and Christians, they sort of said, come to Jesus, and that is enough. You know, all we've got to do is get people saved. We've got to get people to pray the prayer get dunked in the water, and then bless God, however they live their life, the rest of the time is kind of up to them. And faith, like childhood, withers in such circumstances. You know, if you bring a child into the world and then don't love them at all or nurture them at all or look after them at all, what have we said will happen? It just comes away, comes to pieces completely. I'm sure you've all seen and heard about um, stories of children who receive no love or no nutrition. They just come apart as a soul, almost. That's what's happening to the world. And we're not going to fix it by criticizing it, but we are going to fix it by living and demonstrating the kingdom culture with courage and love and kindness and all of those good things. If we think of it like this, if we treat them as the kids, I think we will have done the kingdom of heaven a huge favor. Sure, they're wrong, but the kids... All kids are wrong. (laughs) They don't know yet. We can teach them. And not just teach them like explain it to them and sit them down and tell them all the things they think are wrong because that exasperates children. Best thing to do is live and demonstrate the best way. Best way to potty train a child. Demonstrate it. (laughs) Let them see. They will get it really quick. You only count on explaining it to them or providing them written instructions. You're going to be waiting a long time before they're ever potty trained. We have to show them what the love of God is like in Christ. We have to be the conduit for the kingdom culture. In the same way we already know we are for the Holy Spirit and for the love of God and for the message of the gospel, we've got to have a life that actually looks enough like this that people can make the logical leap and come to the Father, all who are weary and heavy laden. They will come and they will find rest in him. But not if we're so stressed and worldly and unkind to the non-Christians that they can't see Jesus in it. I think I've said enough. Can we pray together? I think that'd be so good. Because I know that this is a um, TNT kind of a topic. How you feel about your childhood probably is greatly impactful on the kind of person you've become. And not all of those stories are going to be happy ones. And we stand on holy ground when we talk about fathers, parents, children, growing up, becoming an adult, all of that stuff. There's so many 
nuclear bombs you might accidentally step on. But we belong to a God who is willing and would love nothing more than to go there with us and visit us and aid us in our distress. That's what he's like. He's a good, good father. He's not afraid of horrible, horrible questions about who I am and what happened to me a long time ago. He's not wishing that we would only be polite and still and silent. He is arms wide open, halfway down the track, running towards us, just wanting to scoop us up like always. So let's pray. And then if I could start you off, I'd really love it if you if you've kind of got hold of this and you can sort of turn around and look at anybody else near you and it looks like, if, if it sort of feels like it'd be good to just pray for another person, please begin to do that. Let's work with God on this one and we'll just allow him to do his work as a good, good father and we'll be graceful people who are participating in a culture that he already designed. So Lord, I praise you that you hide the best truths about yourself from the wise and the learned. And instead you reveal them to little children and grown-ups, however old, who are willing to become like children and learn how you do things in your kingdom culture. Thank you for establishing the kingdom of God upon the world. Thank you for bringing a counterculture to a world around us that is so wrong about so many things. But Lord, we need your help. We need to be able to keep in step as you march through and build that wonderful new heavens and new earth. We are praying, Lord God, that we would be able to see our part in what you're doing here in Weymouth, here in England, here in the West, here in the world, here in planet Earth. So I thank you that your call and your gifting are irrevocable and you have brought us out of darkness into a glorious light. Help us to remember to speak up about those things we do like, about your kingdom culture, how we are all the children of God. If we believe in his name and, and trust in him, we can just be part of that, that wonderful culture. So Lord, lead us. And as we begin to look to our neighbor here in the church room, Help us to be able to find those things that you've hidden for us to find. You are such a loving father. You love us so much. You love kids. And I'm so thankful for that, Lord God. You're not hoping they'll just sit quietly while they grow up. But you rejoice in them. You welcome them. You esteem them so highly. You love them and forgive them quickly and so shall we. Lord, help us to get in touch with that kingdom culture, that Holy Spirit culture, that way of being that represents and resembles you. Because your identity is in us too. You're our Father. We look like you. We have your name in us. And that's so precious to us. Lord, help us to realize what it means. Help us to be able to put it into practice. Help us to be able to see what you're doing and copy it. Why don't we stand together? And we'll just welcome that loving father as children. No need to be too grown up. Let's just put our hands out and remember 
being a little child and needing someone to pick us up. Just like that, arms up. And then, oh God, you gather us into your arms and you lay your hand upon us and you bless us. And you welcome us. Oh Lord, we want to follow you. Father, help me put it into practice. Help me to put the kingdom, of co- kingdom culture with regard to children into practice. All those things you've called me to. Help me to take courage and begin to implement them. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and just pop a hand on their shoulder or ask them first if you're at all unsure. And just say, welcome to the kingdom. Welcome to the kingdom. If you're unsure, a blessing is where you just speak good into people and, and delight in everything that's going well and, and ask for more. So we say, I bless you in Jesus' name to thrive and grow. And just imagine that person's little baby them, you know, and you're not putting your hand on anyone who's 50 or 20 or 100, but that you're on, you've got your hands on a little tot and you're just saying, I bless you, smile. Let them know that you see in them the same thing that's in us with regard to God, that he is our loving parent and he's just so happy that we're here. Thank you, Lord. You can just keep going. How like the best parent is it to notice what the person loves and just bless their involvement in it. Yeah, God, thank you so much. If you feel the Lord begin to show you a picture or give you a word for anybody, feel free to just begin to find the person who it's for and, and share it with them. Just let them know that this message comes from the Father heart of God, that it's his love for them and high esteem for them that's bringing this word in. And Lord, we do pray for those blessed children who are being raised in this prevailing culture. We pray for them because they need it so much. There's so much going wrong with their understanding of who they are. So many of them are without loving parents and so many of them are being nurtured by a culture that doesn't love them or value them. Sees them only as consumers for products and ideologies. Lord, we bless them in your name and not just in our prayers, but we ask you for opportunities to bless them in real life, that they would see the kingdom culture. Whether or not we have any actual children living at home, I pray that you would encourage us and help us to walk with faithfulness to the way that we've been called to live, to speak about what we do love and do value 
and not be afraid of it because it's children that we're talking to, but to have great courage. Just while you're praying and carrying on, feel free to take as long as you like. We're in no hurry. But um, towards the back of the church, there'll be a hatch open in a little while that will serve us some drinks and coffee. The team in there are getting ready for that. But just take your time. Stay in his presence. Sit with dad. Let's let him be all he is to us and rejoice in it. Amen.